This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Annie Guilfoyle is an award-winning garden designer, writer, instructor, and international lecturer based in England. Her design work has been featured in garden books and on television. For 18 years, she was the director of garden design at the KLS School of Design. Noel Kingsbury is an internationally known plantsman, an educator, designer, and prolific writer about plants, gardens, and the environment. He is well known for his promotion of what is broadly called an ecological or naturalistic approach to evidence-based planting design. These two leading voices, Annie and Noel, in our horticultural world, teamed up in the 2000 teens to establish Garden Masterclass, a now multifaceted endeavor to grow quality horticultural education in our world. Garden Masterclass is a place for garden designers, landscape architects, horticulture professionals, keen home gardeners, and more to learn and to share experience, knowledge, skills, and ideas in gardening and landscape design. They bring the whole world of gardening professionals together for the advancement of the whole gardening world. Annie and Noel, after having spoken for Garden Masterclass twice in the last three years, I am so pleased to have you here with me. Welcome to Cultivating Place. Great. Well, thank you very much for inviting us. Yeah, this is really, really exciting for us too, Jennifer. I'd love to have each of you introduce yourselves a little more specifically, because as I as I inferred, you both have long and accomplished careers in your own right as designers, as gardeners, as educators, as writers. Uh, tell us a little bit more about yourselves and specifically maybe how you relate to plants or what your kind of organizing principle is in relationship with plants at this moment in your life. Let's go ahead and start with you, Annie, and then we'll move to you, Noel. Okay, well, um, I came to garden design and gardening um, as a change of career, although I, I think I probably came full circle because I grew up in the middle of nowhere in a place called Exmoor, which is a very wild part of the West Country in England, on a farm. Um, so consequently, when I went to school, I did nothing but talk because I was so, you know, devoid of of, of other people. So um, <laughs> that was me always being told to shut up. Anyway, so I think, you know, fast forward 25, 30 years, because I did lots of stuff in between. Um, I was living in London and I decided to um, study horticulture, um, partly because I wanted to get out of an office environment and I was really enjoying um, my basement flat, as we call them in, in, in England, surrounded by wooden boxes that I filled with earth and then planted plants. And it was a sort of it was this cacophony of, 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 of colour and it won Best Basement Garden in Westminster. And I thought, hang on, I think I could do something with this. <laughs> so I went to study horticulture and... And I loved it. But as I studied horticulture, I realized that design was really of big interest to me. That was a focal point for me. Um, and and then fortuitously, my college, which was Capel Manor, which is quite a well-known horticultural college in the north of London, was liaising with Middlesex University. And they 
were formulating the first ever degree in garden design as opposed to landscape architecture. So I thought, great, I'll do it, I'll do it. And that's where I started. I know you are sort of where we are at now, really. <laughs> but I suppose my, because that's sort of 35 years ago now, um, I've always designed and I've always taught um, from the moment I left university. So for me, teaching and designing, i.e. working with clients, has always been a really, um, has always gone hand in hand. I've always maintained the two. And involvement with plants, very much so because of part of design. I've always been quite hands-on with the plants and planting. So would you say that your organizing principle would be something along the lines of connecting people to to plants through design? I mean, what do you think it is that pulls you to plants? Because you can be any kind of designer, right? You could be an interior designer. You could be an architect. What is it that's compelling about the plant part, Annie? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, it, it always baffled me when I have a student come and when I was teaching diploma students and they'd come to learn about garden design and never having gardened, never having had a connection with plants. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it always mystified me of, well, why why do you want to be in this world? Because to me, it's about being driven by plants. And I've never really quite analysed it. And I think it's possibly to do with my upbringing. It's to do with being brought up in a family of keen gardeners in a very wild and rural situation. Um, and then having a period of time where I wanted to live in the middle of a city and had no interest in the countryside or plants. And then suddenly thinking, hmm, hang on. Um, and I, at this point, normally when I'm teaching, I like to quote Germaine Greer because she said once in an article in Vogue magazine, um, at a certain point in your life, your hormones turn to horticulture. Now, whether, whether that's true, I don't know. Um, but I think for me, design is very much about, you know, the plants are, are you know, it is very integral with, with designing. You cannot, I don't think you can design a garden without a knowledge of gardening and plants, number one, um, mm. and an understanding of them. But then also the communication with your clients for them to understand what you're giving them. So it's, yeah. I, I, I don't see it in compartments. I see it as this one great big wheel, really. <laughs> mm -hmm. The best mm -hmm. way of describing yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And and there's something about that uh, description, having been to Exmoor, and I can sort of picture that landscape and that wide view and those that very specific kind of plant palette and feel there. And you're saying uh, how kind of isolated you were it's almost like they're the vocabulary mm. of of your design work in some way I don't know well yeah I mean Exmoor is very green and lush being in the west and mm. often very damp but there is that intensity of color and that intensity of greenness very much like Ireland really mm -hmm. which is where my parents were from um I was also horse mad so I I engaged with the countryside from the back of a horse constantly you know so so it was you could get you could move through that countryside very quickly often you fell onto that countryside <laughs> quite abruptly but um <laughs> I tried not to but yeah so I think my relationship with what I'm doing now has to hark back to those days definitely yeah yeah mm. All right, let's move to you, Noel. Introduce yourself to listeners and how how you describe it. 
Oh, well, Annie talked about hormones turning to horticulture. Well, in my case, that happened a, a lot earlier. Um, I was uh, very keen on gardening as a teenager and had a couple of other friends who were interested in gardening, one in particular. And uh, two years running, we skived off games on a Tuesday afternoon to go up to the uh, Chelsea Flower Show. Uh, where we, I think, really stood out as sort of the youngest people there. Um, so I've I've always been into gardening, and that is basically means about about plants. Um, and I've done other other work. For example, I've taught um, English as a second language, which basically means working with immigrant communities, uh, people who've just arrived in the country, or people who've uh, been here for a while but need uh, need language support. Uh, so I've always had an interest in adult education. Um, and so I then passed a phase of having my own small nursery business um, and doing some garden design. We're talking about the 19, the sort of yeah late 1980s, early 1990s, when garden design was just beginning to take off. And I started writing. Um, and for me, writing was incredibly easy. I mean, I suppose my mother was a very good example. She was a very successful children's educational book writer and she was um basically the family breadwinner by the time i was around or conscious and she she was very self-disciplined um and she produced an enormous amount of of, of material and, and as my wife said you know she taught, taught you know half the country must have must have read books by by phyllis flowerdew uh so i started writing the odd article for the rhs journal the, the, the garden uh then got asked to do write a, a book and that really is what took off and the other thing that for me really took off was the mid-1990s uh discovering the whole what has come to be known as the new perennial movement um particularly traveling through germany which is a another story um and just seeing these extraordinary creations which involved entirely familiar plants but used in utterly unfamiliar ways and 1994 was something of an annus mirabilis for me anyway um i as was sort of running uh, run down the nursery business and so i was free to travel for the first time in a long time so I went to Brazil uh, to meet uh, the great Roberto Bole Marx, um, unfortunately more or less on his deathbed. Um, and then uh, I, I had reasons to be to be traveling across uh, uh, Central Europe quite a lot. Spent a lot of time looking at uh, these incredible parks in Germany that were being created using this uh, ecologically based planting style. And that completely grabbed me. Uh, it grabbed me visually, but also kind of philosophically, because it had a very sound scientific basis. Uh, and that's one of the things that's always been hugely important to me, uh, that everything does is is, is evidence-based. Um, and I think that's one of the really strong things about a lot of what we do. I mean, my, obviously thinking of my colleagues at uh, University of Sheffield, their work is, is soundly historically um, sorry, scientifically based. Uh, Nigel Dunn, I did a, a PhD, um, research PhD with, with Nigel Dunnett, in, in, in fact. And writing is obviously about education and dissemination. And I've always had a bit of a thing about information about plants, uh, that you know, go to something like the Hardy Plant Society, there are all these conversations taking place, and there's like a sort of cloud of information and knowledge. And when one of those 
people dies, that all just in a moment disappears. And so uh, at various stages, I've tr tried to do something that, that, that gathers together knowledge and information. And I see with Garden Masterclass, when Annie and I got that going, uh, was a lot of that was about trying to disseminate knowledge and now with what we do, recording it and mm -hmm. documentation, I think is, is hugely important. And that moves us really beautifully to Garden Masterclass. But I wanna I wanna go back just a little bit to to unpack and, and underline for listeners, because there's a lot of information in, in what both of you just shared with us about these very long careers. I think you you both do sort of a lot of everything, but Annie is sort of very specifically focused on a lot of college or or higher education level teaching as well as designing. And Noel, you also, of course, do both of those things, but very focused on writing. You have something like 25 books now. So there is this kind of convening and gathering, as you were just saying, Noel, of information, and then this incredibly generous and prolific sharing of it forward in all of these different ways between the two of you. And I think it's fair to say you're both in the mature stage of your careers. So I'd love to move to Garden Masterclass now um, with all of those ideas in mind, especially this idea of good design plus evidence-based, ecologically functional and contributing uh, scientific concepts at the basis of it. How did the idea of Garden Masterclass come together? How did the two of you find each other? Um, a glass of red wine helped, I think. Um, <laughs> well, but I also it remember always the, does. Yeah. I always remember the first time I met Annie. I was in the in the Royal Horticultural Society Library in London, down in the basement, which is the interesting bit. Um, and this rather attractive woman kind of pinned me against the bookshelves, um, <laughs> asking me, would I consider uh, coming to lecture at, at West Dean? Uh, by this time, I was doing quite a lot of lecturing. I, mean, I always uh, have done. And um, when I was uh, took a few years and we were sort of talking about putting something on I very clearly remember uh, over a glass of red wine talking with Annie about organizing some sort of festival I think it was and we then approached it was we approached Gardens Illustrated didn't we at least we worked with them initially that's right that's right and Gardens Illustrated like most magazines don't have a huge um posse of people to do their you know extra events for them so we ended up organising two festivals for Gardens Illustrated. Um, first one was at uh, Malmesbury, and the second one was at um, Western Bird. Um, and it was it was a two day event. So we put together this sort of you know um, a whole series of speakers, various speakers uh, speaking at the same time. So lots and lots of people involved over two days, and um, and and you know it was it was a very well attended event. And then Noel and I came away from that with the idea of. Well, why don't we roll this out, but in a but in a sort of, I would say, more diluted way? But why don't we roll this out around the country? Um, I think uh, you know it was also we we both felt very strongly that most people get very fed up in the UK, and the UK is tiny in comparison to the US, but very fed up that everything happens within the M25, the big ring road around London. Um, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, things don't get taken out to the extremities of the country. And so we decided, and that was our first sort of thought was, let's roll this out 
over you know a whole summer between or, or a period between April and October where we could have educational events in interesting gardens, unusual gardens, maybe places that were usually not, you know, um, accessible, nurseries, you know, private gardens, but but with the top people in the industry, or if not the top people in the industry, people who were really up and coming. Um, and we started off quite modestly with about 11 events, I think, in our first year. We're going back six years now, because we'll be in our seventh year. Yeah, what year is this? Yeah, well, we, whatever it is, it's 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 six years ago. We we, we will be in our seventh year next year, um, and so so, two thousand fourteen. Yeah, yeah, and so no, two thousand sixteen, two thousand sixteen. Yeah, two thousand sixteen. Yeah. Okay, is when you first paired up with Gardens Illustrated. Did these first two and well, then... no, that that those that's two years prior to that. So garden master, okay. garden masterclass is now nearly seven. Will be seven years old next year. Okay. So it, then, if you if you roll back, you know, two years before that, that's when we did the festivals, and then we came mm-hmm. up with this idea for garden masterclass, and we started off quite modestly with I think about eleven events on our in our very first year. Mm-hmm. Our second year that doubled to twenty two. Our third year, it, it it snuck up to about 27. And then the last couple of years, these are live events that we're talking about now, because this was way before we even thought about going online. Um, we were up to about 30 events. Um, and so uh, it gained quite a momentum quite quickly, but it was just live events. So real time, real people, real gardens, nurseries throughout all over the British Isles. So Ireland, Wales, Scotland, England, and then we ventured across into France as well. And this is all pre-COVID. This is Cultivating Place. This week, we're in conversation with garden designers, writers, educators, and forces behind the online and in-person endeavor known as Garden Masterclass. Annie Guilfoyle and Noel Kingsbury are the forces behind this online horticultural educational forum. We'll be right back with more. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. In this first new and waxing moon of the winter season, I hope you can rest. You can slow. You can lean into and be nurtured by the gentle and restorative darkness of this time of year. As gardeners, we require the same dormancy and the same chill hours as our plant friends outside. Rest easily. I'm Jennifer Jewell. This is Cultivating Place, and we're back now to our conversation with Annie Guilfoyle and Noel Kingsbury, the two creators of what is known as Garden Masterclass, an in-person and online place for garden designers, 
landscape architects, horticulture professionals, keen home gardeners, and anyone that cares about high-level planting to learn and to share experience, knowledge, skills, and ideas in gardening and landscape design. As we come back, Annie is sharing more about the original impetus in developing Garden Masterclass and why it matters. Well, I think we both realised that there's quite a lot of entry-level stuff going on, Mm. Um, but there was nothing really offered for people who wanted something at a slight, well, at a higher level, so for a professional level, and whether that be for young designers, professional designers, keen amateur gardeners, landscape architects, there was very little really on offer for this level, we, we we were always very clear that we didn't we weren't really interested in sort of entry level stuff. We wanted you know it to be at, at a much higher, more professional level, and that's yep. where we were aiming. Yeah, um, and I think that's really what what drove us, and that that was great because that gave us quite a quite a nice, clearly defined route into the people that we would ask to lecture and teach for us, the locations, and how we and who to who we would market it as well. Right. Right. And also, the Britain has, or at least had, quite a lot of so-called garden schools, which were very often run by uh, fairly wealthy people with large gardens who would put on you know, very good, usually day events. Uh, but they were very much uh, limited to the, the, the south of England. Uh, we wanted to create something more, more democratic, something that would go further afield um, and would pair up. You know, a good speaker. And a good garden, and hopefully a half a half decent lunch. Um, and um, we were aiming to just try to be yet more inclusive, democratic, open things out, explore all sorts of possibilities. Yeah, and it clearly hit this vein, right? Like it, it, it more than doubled in in the first three years. It sounds like, and so there was clearly this hunger for this higher, maybe more complex, a little less black and white, uh, a little less like formulaic way of getting together and sharing information and learning from each other, that that this, this struck a chord in your gardening world there. I think so. And also, I think people were really um, grateful that we were going out into counties mm-hmm. like Northumbria and Yorkshire and Devon and um, you know, just further afield and taking what we were doing out to more, you know, say more interesting places, but, you know, out to the to the, the extremities of the country. And people were really, really grateful that this was happening, that they didn't have to travel, you know, the, the length of the country to go to, you know, to be in the southeast all the time. So I think that was one thing that that really helped us on our way because I think you know it was important to us and I think it was important to the people that were coming too. Right and did this become sort of a, a full-time job for the two of you? I mean that's a lot of logistics. Oh no no it was it was it was you know one of the things you you juggle in the air and let's face it we were we were not really making much money out no, of it. No exactly and no, no we very much fitting it in around and and then of course you know like I say pre-COVID it, it was very much at April till October 
live events happening obviously the winter we were we were you know scurrying away putting the program together for the next year but you know the business has grown hugely in comparison now because we are never sort of off duty now whereas before we could kind of put it to bed a little bit and then and then think right the program's set off we go for for the for the right. following year mm. and for the logistics part of it just out of curiosity were you partnering with the destinations so that you know the gardener would help with things like i don't know chairs or microphones <laughs> or water oh, yeah 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 mm -hmm. i, yeah. I yeah, mean it, it did so. vary yeah. a little yeah, bit yeah. from from location to location because sometimes we would be in a nursery um mm -hmm. that has you know one loo and quite a bit of parking um catering was brought in um chairs borrowed from the village hall i mean literally um to Chatsworth, yeah, yeah. where you turn up and someone meets you at the door <laughs> and says, I'm taking care of you today. And I'm thinking, thank you. I'm, you know, thank I'm you. Very, very happy to be taken care of. <laughs> so so from Chatsworth to, you know, a more modest setting of a of a, of a commercial nursery, mm -hmm. both brilliant, but very different. So each each was, you know, sometimes the catering is done in house. Sometimes it's brought in, um, you know, sometimes the people are very much involved. Sometimes we arrive and we have to do everything. So it, it varies completely. In those early years when it was entirely in person, did you have uh, just first come first serve ticketing and there were there were paid tickets for each event? Um, did you have people that wanted to sign up for the entire series? Um, not really, no. We had, um, I suppose by the time we were starting on year three, we were surprised by people flying over from the United States, for example, um, obviously not just to come to one of our events, but but we were sort of feeling, gosh, people are really making an effort. We were, we were getting some multiple bookings, but our aim was always, always geographical diversification. So it was never particularly practicable to, you know, buy the whole whole suite. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and 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 we got a little bit more savvy um, as as time went by. But I mean, we we uh, most of our sales, I think, were coming via Gardens Illustrated readers. That was the sort of the 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 place where you know when we analyse where people came from at that point in time, that was that was definitely it. Um, and so um, then we realised that you know we would have priority booking, and and as as it progressed, we became a little bit more sort of sophisticated, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little less, you know, um, yeah. And then with the idea of this masterclass concept in mind, as you looked across the planning, especially in those those earlier years, and and even now when you have a, a sort of multimedia. Uh, in your in your book in you know in your planning um were you looking at an arc of um, learning or a diversity of topics so that you know so it essentially you were getting a master class with some design some botany some horticultural trade some um yeah how did you look at the kind of arc of inclusion in any one season as a master class I think we tried to always try to spread it pretty wide. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the frustration was and still is that people will roll up uh, if the speaker is well known. You know, we will get backsides on seats if somebody's been on telly is there. 
but there's so often people who have incredible knowledge who are really good at conveying that knowledge but if they're only known locally then it's frustratingly difficult to get people to come along that I think has been almost one of the biggest frustrations of the whole thing yeah yeah and also I think it's in, it's important to realize that both Noel and I come from different parts of the industry and we both have very different address books and contact books and so Noel is very much of the plant um, and nursery and and plant communities of the world and I'm more in the design camp or obviously we cross over right. but that's quite good because our you know our fishing our fishing line goes out to different people because we you know I'm constantly looking at designers and uh, you know maybe new schemes and 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 people who are exciting knolls looking at plants and plant people and and so so there's this great crossover so we're not constantly sort of treading the same track um and i think that's what makes it work so well because we're introducing people to each other how about this person have you heard of them do you know have a look at this website look at this person i've just read their book it's great you know so that's great because we're not you know we're not sort of treading on each other's feet right and that wide net means that someone who is, you know, following you as a designer, Annie, or you as a plantsman, uh, Noel, will say, well, he recommended it, so I'll give it a try. And then all of a sudden their their interest is sparked and their their own imagination is expanded in a way that I think is, is what helps all of us grow um, and clearly is part of the idea behind what you've put together. So take us to 2020. What happens <laughs> with 30 in-person um, events? And oh. how did this pivot work? And in many ways, like grew you all? Mm. Well, we started 2020 with a program full with 30 events lined up. Oh. Yeah, they were they were there. Yeah. 30 plus, 30 plus events. Yes. And we just had to and we just had to start postponing them. But uh, I had always wanted to do more and make use of online and video, but I, and I don't have any particular knowledge of that area, so it kind of never happened. Um, but we then realized we had, for a start, an incredible opportunity, but also uh, we felt we should be offering a, a service. Um, and I, uh, I think Nigel Dunnant and I did a, um, we thought we'd do an experimental one-off uh, with showing pictures of, of our of our gardens, and I had to learn overnight video editing. And I remember just kind of crying <laughs> over my computer, something like two o'clock in the morning, trying to get this red thing to work. Anyway, we cracked it. I mean, it's it's a terribly ham-fisted affair, but of course, it's had an enormous number of hits since then. And then I, I, it went quite well. We had a good audience, and then I said to Annie, "Look." We, this is a great opportunity for us. And also we should be, let's do some broadcasting. Let's do a daily broadcast. Um, and that was rather a high place, which she talked me off and said, okay, we agreed on, we'll do it Monday to Friday, four o'clock every day. We'll interview somebody or we'll get them to do a presentation. And so we kept that up for two months during the COVID lockdown. And it was, it really was one of the best experiences of my life because we were constantly commissioning, raiding our address books. Uh, virtually everyone we asked was really up for it. Uh, people were very generous with their time. Uh, we asked for donations. The donations came in at a level that was, you know, it wasn't embarrassing, um, but it was certainly respectable and very gratifying. 
and we found ourselves kind of instantly with a, I'm not quite sure where they came from, but this global audience. And we had a lot of regulars um, and we'd have phases like one week, there'd be loads of people from our next three weeks, there'd be loads of people from Ireland and then there'd be loads from Argentina. Um, and it was just, it was hugely exciting, but it was enabling us to do something that I had always really wanted to do, which was on one level, create this global garden community, uh, but also exploit the technology and the technology offers so many opportunities for really creative thinking um so after two months uh, we then brought it down to a simmer we thought we're just going to do public service broadcast one day a week on thursdays at six o'clock london time and then develop pay to view webinars but recording them and then that's another sort of thing of mine is archive you know documentation and archiving and just building up this massive library of stuff online. Yeah. And I think the fact that it didn't happen sooner is kind of interesting because you both live and garden in very different places. Like you aren't physically in direct proximity to one another. Uh, remind people where you live in garden, Noel, and then remind people. Um, I'm, I'm in, I'm in, uh, I'm in central Portugal uh, between Coimbra and Guarda for those who know the country. Yeah, and, and I'm in West Sussex, so I'm about an hour south of London as the crow flies, just north of Chichester. So, um, yeah, West Sussex. So at this point, Garden Masterclass has become this really beautifully complex organism, which has many faces, uh, one of which you or, or two of which you just discussed uh, or added to the equation of in-person gatherings, Noel, and that is Thursday Garden Chats, I believe they're called, and then the the paid sort of membership level webinars that happen how many times a month? Uh, well, it, it varies, and we have a we try we try to do them once a week during the kind of winter spring season, but during the northern hemisphere summer, people are out gardening or they're you know having dinner outside or whatever um so it, it, it's uh yeah we we focus on essentially a winter season with them and now kind of post-covid if that's what we can really call ourselves <laughs> um we we you have added some movies and you have returned to in-person gatherings in the United Kingdom as well. Tell us about, I mean, we're speaking in late November, mid-November, and this will air in late December. Um, tell us about like what the last season comprised and what 2023 is starting to look like for you. Well, we decided because I think during going back to, to the, the dreaded 2020, we actually managed one live event that year at Lau the Castle with with Dan Pearson. You know, it was in August and it was it was that point in when, you know, we we thought we were getting back to normal. Little did we know. Then the following year, we managed about eight or nine events. This year, we've had we've had a fairly healthy um, turnout. We've, we've probably done about 15 events or so. Um, and so. Um, now we've got this sort of you know the online presence and the and the um live events but last year during last year we decided that we would try and film um a, a good handful of our live events because we realized that there were people that couldn't travel or didn't want to travel or were thinking i don't know when i'm ever going to be able to travel again for whatever reason so we started filming which was very exciting so we mm. have 
about eight uh, events that are filmed, recorded live events, recorded live workshops, which is which was quite a um, it was it was you know it was quite a quite a big deal for us. But we we work with this incredible videographer John Campbell, who is wonderful, who has a a good knowledge of he was a garden photographer, he was a videographer first, then a garden photographer. Now he sold all his equipment, and then we said, hey John, we want you to make movies. So he's brought all his equipment back again. Um, <laughs> And so he's he's absolutely fantastic because he understands what we're trying to do, and and you know we and we can we can do it we can manage to do it on a on a fairly reasonable scale, um, and that sort of opened up so many opportunities really because um, we decided that yes filming live events was good. I think we we like them to be a little bit more um, popular on you know as, as for, for people to view. I think we were a little bit disappointed that more people weren't tuning in to see what the day at Dixter was like or you know what the day at Hestercombe was like. And so maybe people just need a little bit more encouragement to do that because you know having not having not travelled or not wanting to travel, they I know it's not the same as being there in person, but you know we we thought it would be um, the next best thing. Um, and then you know there there are very Various people, um, you know, in in our in this country who who are quietly going around and and doing incredible things. And one of them is Keith Wiley, who's down in South Devon, and um, Keith's had a fairly um, difficult few years. And um, you know, with a bit of trepidation, I approached him and said, "Look, Keith, you know." what would you think about us coming to film you throughout the year? Um, Keith, for those who have never heard of Keith Wiley, he, he is in the process of creating the most extraordinary, possibly the most unusual and extraordinary garden in the UK, you know, um, for lots of reasons. But Keith is primarily a plantsman. He has an incredible sense of plant communities. And he has taken what was a gently sloping field and turned it into maybe four or five different um um, growing areas from the Grand Canyon to to you know um, woods and lakes and things. Anyway, so so he said yes, I'll I'll do it. So during the past year, literally almost to the date, we we have been filming him on a seasonal basis, and uh, John is now busy editing this and putting it together, and we're very excited about this because <clears throat> Keith is only open on a handful of days a year. Um, and he's very strict about that. So if you flew over from the West Coast and knocked on his door and said, look, I've come all the way, he, he would say, sorry, I'm not open today. You know, so so we, we we hope that by doing this, it will open up to the world what he's doing, but also mm -hmm. be an archive of somebody who's doing incredible work, very interesting work. <clears throat> this is also rolled on. So there are other people that we are now doing the same thing with. We're starting to film Derry Watkins, who's an amazing oh. Plants woman and nursery Fantastic, woman. Fantastic, yeah, yeah, um, and and various other people. So, um, filming has been a very exciting new uh, development for us, and I think the potential is enormous. Um, and and I think we're incredibly lucky to have found John to work with because he makes it. He, he you know he he really makes it happen on a on a sort of on a reasonable scale for us. You know, it's 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 great.
This is Cultivating Place. This week, we're in conversation with Annie Guilfoyle and Noel Kingsbury. These two garden designers, garden writers, and garden and horticultural educators are the forces behind the online and in-person endeavor known as Garden Masterclass. We'll be right back for more with Annie and Noel. Stay with us. Hey, so thinking out loud this week and of your resting winter dormancy, I also hope that while you are resting, you are able to dream big, luxuriously and expansively into the garden life you hope to grow and be grown by. Dream deeply, garden friends, and I'll talk to you next year. I'm Jennifer Jewell. This is Cultivating Place. And we're back now to our conversation with Annie Guilfoyle and Noel Kingsbury, the two creators of what is known as Garden Masterclass. As we come back, Noel is sharing more about the specific ways people around the world can access the different facets of Garden Masterclass. Um, Well, we have a a website with various uh, categories, and there's a lot of the Thursday Garden Chats, uh, which go up onto YouTube. And after a while, we take them off and we put them onto the website. And a lot of them are available as free recordings. Uh, The most popular ones we keep as for for, for members, as sort of premium content for members. Um, So we initiated membership almost exactly two years ago uh, because we we wanted to sort of consolidate uh, people who wanted to support us, but who, people we wanted to communicate with, and we felt we were able to offer discounts to, and various special events like uh, members' events in 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 Britain. And we, well, we have two members, two levels of membership: one simply for online, and the other for more aimed at people in the British Isles who can go to uh, exclusively member events. Um, and uh, obviously, we, we offer discounts on on a, on a lot of what we do. Um, various other odd perks like for example there is a gardening soap opera i actually started writing about 10 years ago um, and then blew the dust off um got my wife who's got a very good reading voice to read that and so that is available to members as well um and the idea of membership is basically we see it as a community and uh, one of the nice things about live events now is actually meeting some of these people who we've only mm. known as little sort of postage stamp right. people before. Um, and, you know, we're, we're continually wanting, uh, looking at ways in which we can, you know, build on that membership. Um, and it, it, it's a way of keeping in, in, in touch with people. Uh, and also sometimes getting advice from people. I mean, we're, we're very, very keen on hearing from people about what they want. Um, now, that is a very necessary guide, especially when you're dealing with people internationally. Um, I mean, for example, we've just done a link up with uh, North Creek Nurseries in Pennsylvania, um, advertising a, a course that Nigel Dunnett and I started doing through Garden Masterclass uh, in the in the kind of first COVID year, which was very successful. And we thought we'd offer this specifically to, to North Creek customers. And we've become aware of just 
really how very little of that kind of professional development there is available in in the in the US, which surprised us. Um, so uh, yeah, we're continually lo looking at ways of of, of, of you know, building building outreach. So in the US. For many of these professional levels, they, in order to keep their accreditation or certification, they need continuing education units. Is that the same in the UK and do some of the master classes? Yes, yeah. Uh, sort of. We just have a different, we have a different set of acronyms. Um, uh, we, what do we call it? Um, continuing professional CPLD, don't we? Anyway, yes, uh, we're, we're sort of trying to sign up for APLD yeah. and uh, ASLA. Uh, uh, certification there, nice. and we're very much looking forward to getting. Uh, I mean, we've, we, we, we've always had quite a, a, a lot of people from North America in the audience, but I mean, we're particularly interested in sort of getting that perspective. What is actually a very rapidly changing and very exciting mm -hmm. garden and landscape scene. Yeah, and it it has really really accelerated that sense of um, excitement and urgency and and dynamism over these last three years, which has been, you know, I think the three of us can agree, it's been very, very exciting and, um, and energizing in a lot of ways. When you think about these last six years, these last three years, um, I, I would love for you to share with listeners, you know, maybe some anecdotes from a couple of the the classes or the webinars or the exchanges with members about the importance of this kind of cultural literacy and how hungry people are for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I have just come back from the Pacific Northwest from teaching and um, I was just completely bowled over by the number of people who came up to me and said, thank you so much. You got me through COVID. Um, thank you for what you did. Thank you for coming out here. And I was like, well, I'm very happy to be here. Um, but, uh, and I think, you know, that's not just, uh, you know, in the States, I, I was judging at Chelsea Flower Show, somebody came and tapped me on the shoulder, said, Look, I know you're really busy, but I've just got to stop and tell you that I'm so thankful for Garden Masterclass. I'm a landscape architect. I'm from Germany. Um, you know, what you're doing is amazing. And I, I think sometimes Noel and I feel like it's a bit of a wheeze this isn't it it's quite good fun and it's jolly and and you know what would we be doing otherwise and then suddenly when people come up to you and say you got me through Covid um, and I think one one particular I, I don't want to mention names but you know we very early on during the during the the, the lockdown I had a, a an email from somebody and she said she'd just come back from a funeral from somebody who was a gardener um, who took their own life and this was a particularly difficult day this was during covid it was dreadful and she said she sat down and she watched our um our, or watched our, our um talk with dan pearson and she said it just you know it, it was exactly what she needed and that was such a wake-up call for me i thought my goodness what we're doing is really serious here you know this is providing people with this and she lived in a very remote part of the british isles and she said you know i needed this so badly and and it was there and i, I you know it's it's amazing how you know what feels like jolly good fun actually is quite a serious thing that we've started and it's just fantastic yeah yeah no, what would you add to that? Well, I, I think one of the really exciting things has been to kind of go virtually to, to places which have been discoveries 
for us, mm. uh, I mean, I was just thinking of one of the most, uh, one of the first year Thursday Garden Chats we did uh, was um, based on Hokkaido in northern Japan, mm. uh, which, of course, we tend to know about because of the Dan Pearson Design Garden at Tokachi Millennium Forest. Well, I, I discovered that, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, I'd been approached the previous year by a, a young Japanese woman who wanted to translate uh, a book I, I'd written, and we'd had a sort of struck a bit of a sort of online friendship. And uh, Sachi was one of those uh, people who, she was brought up in the West, I mean, she sounds English on, on the phone, but then got went back to Japan. Um, so very much a foot in, in, in both cultures. And we, she helped us put together a whole program about gardening in, in Hokkaido, um, which was such an insight into this whole new garden scene occurring in this place that is fairly fearsome Siberian climate, but actually a very good climate for, for growing perennials. You know, this whole other world we didn't know existed. And, uh, and yeah, we had this, this remarkably easy and proficient and, and uh, very approachable uh, contact through, through, through Sachi that enabling that to, to happen. Um, and I think that's one of the great things about adding this global dimension is that although gardening can be and very often is quite an inward looking activity, it's very much about place. And a lot of gardeners don't seem to go many places. Uh, there is so much we can learn and need to learn from each other. And this has been just a wonderful opportunity to uh, to do that. Um, and another one was, I suppose, was a, a real surprise, perhaps. Also, the opportunity of, of names you you know, uh, people you admire in particular. This is an opportunity to go and um, make contact with them. Uh, like I've been to India a few times, and whilst I was there, I've been really impressed by books written by a chap called Pradeep Krishan, um, and one of the best tree manuals, for example, I'd ever I'd ever come across. And it also written a wonderful book about the trees of, of Delhi. Now because Delhi has the most incredible tree flora. Um and I knew this guy was an ex Bollywood uh, film director. Anyway, a little bit of digging, make contact with him, and it turns out he's created a whole desert garden around the fort at uh, Jodhpur in Rajasthan. Mm. Um, so great opportunity to, to meet up with Pradeep, and he did one of our more memorable Thursday garden chats describing this process in this very harsh climate of how you restore a natural habitat um, in the face of a whole load of sort of invasive mesquite. Um, and yeah, so again, something that would never have happened without this. Yeah. And, you know, I think there is also this, um, kind of circumstance that forced our hand as gardeners to go outside of our known boundaries has offered, we've sort of stumbled a across a solution to one of the, I think the greatest um, hobbles in the gardening world this last 25 years, 30 years. And that is, how do we cross some of these perceived boundaries in age, in in culture, in socioeconomics? In, I, I think, you know, this new technology, this new accessibility has just exploded the 
myth that gardening is any one thing done by any one group of people. And that's been this just incredibly beautiful, um, I'm going to go back to a word you used early in the conversation, Annie, about um, this like cacophony of of color and and different tones and um, just diversity, which is, of course, what our mm. gardens need and our world mm. needs. And right? I think one thing that I've been amazed at is that we we are all, no matter where we are, whether we're in India or we're in in Pacific Northwest or Scotland or wherever we're all gardening we've all got the same issues really <laughs> we're all facing mm. climate issues but also you know generally speaking around the world gardeners are undervalued underpaid you know so there's a big problem there maintenance is always yeah. an issue you know so it doesn't matter where you are we're, we're all trying to sort of overcome these obstacles in our industry um and and it and it amazes me you can travel you know thousands of miles virtually or in reality and actually we're all still facing very similar issues just the, the temperature might be slightly higher or might be slightly lower but you know yeah um and that's wonderful because it unites us all um i think also another thing that i find really exciting about what we do is the is the younger generation coming through now and that we're and the the young some of the the talks and the and the webinars that we're 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 having with the, you know this younger generation it's so exciting you know, just last week we had a young man called Sid Hill who's creating edible meadows um and and he's quite evangelical about it and it's wonderful to see somebody really you know enjoying what he's doing teaching other people to do what he's doing facilitating this 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 different mm -hmm. way of planting um you know we've we've had riz Rees on you know from 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 the pacific northwest he's now at heronswood and you know it just i love to see these it's it well it, it makes us feel it's it's a wonderful feeling that these people are there they're taking on the mantle they're they're you know they're running with it um and there are so many of them um I'm I'm involved at Great Dixter. I teach at Great Dixter, and I and I love nothing more than learning the new intake of students. And where are you from? And, and what are you doing? And what are your aspirations? Because you're the future, you know. Um, and and it's so exciting. Well, I look forward to uh, Garden Masterclass in 2023, and it has been such a pleasure to speak with you both. I I find it to be a fantastic. Uh, forum. So thank you very much for this incredible platform and um, really excited to see how it grows in the next couple of years. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Jennifer. It's been great being on, being with you. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be on this side of the microphone with you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It's a real thrill. Annie Guilfoyle is an award-winning garden designer, writer, and educator. Her design work has been featured in books, on television, and for 18 years, she was the director of garden design at the KLS School of Design. Noel Kingsbury is an internationally known plantsman, an educator, designer, and prolific writer about plants, gardens, and the environment. He is well known for his promotion of what is broadly called an ecological or naturalistic approach to evidence-based planting design. These two leading voices in our horticultural world teamed up in the 2000 teens to establish Garden Masterclass, a now multifaceted endeavor to grow quality 
horticultural education in our world. Garden Masterclass brings the whole world of gardening professionals together for the advancement of the whole world of gardening. Speaking of plants, we'll be back next week when we kick off 2023 with a multi-part series devoted to the international, national, and statewide endeavors to securely preserve 30% of our world's biodiversity by 2030. We start off with Jennifer Norris, the Deputy Secretary for Biodiversity and Habitat at the California Natural Resources Agency, where she leads the state's 30 by 30 initiative and oversees cutting green tape in support of landscape scale habitat restoration. Listen in. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible by listeners just like you through the support button at cultivatingplace.com. Thank you most recently to David Godshall, Amy and Frank Essick, Janet Mavick, Nancy LaCourt, Sophia Segerstrom, Lillian Book, and Sayaka Lean, all of whom have supported this growing work this past year. We really couldn't do it without you. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler, with weekly tech and web support from Angel Haracha. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week and next year. Enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.